Let's read together from the Hutterberg Catechism, Lord's Day 34. Lord's Day 34. What is the law of the Lord? God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then follows the rest of the Ten Commandments that God gave to us as his people. How are these commandments divided? Into two parts. The first teaches us how to live in relation to God. The second, what duties we owe our neighbor. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That for the sake of my very salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and prayer to saints or to other creatures. Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God, trust in him alone, submit to him with all humility and patience, expect all good from him only, and love, fear, and honor him with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures rather than do the least thing against his will. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you love the Lord with all your heart? Is he number one in your life? Do you love and serve him more than all else? In answering these questions, we're inclined to say, yes, of course I love the Lord. He's my God. I do trust him because he is almighty God and my loving father. It's beautiful to be able to answer these questions in such a way. Yet often when we go through tough times, we doubt God's provision and care for us. Even in good times, it's so easy to rely on people or things other than God. I often ask my catechism students, what kind of other gods do we serve today? Many of them will mention money and possessions as an idol, which so easily distracts us from the service of God. Some say that for them the most important thing is to be cool, to be popular, to be the best. Others reported a tendency to rely on themselves. I rely on my own power of thought to get myself under control. I rely on myself to get myself out of difficult situations. Some mentioned how easy it is to fall into the trap of depending on alcohol or on drugs to cope with life. Many see how in culture today, we're inclined to serve the self rather than God. I appreciate having honest and straightforward discussions like this with my catechism students. 
They make it clear that also we as 21st century Christians so easily fall into idolatry. How often are we not guilty of chasing the almighty dollar, trying to build our own little kingdoms on this earth? How much importance don't we put on our own position, our status, on how others view us in life? Who among us does not rely on his own intellect or power or strength when confronted with problems? Beloved, aren't we all inclined to put ourselves first instead of giving God the glory in all aspects of our lives? If we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we all too often struggle with the first commandment. In his word, the Lord teaches us to trust him, to love him, to serve him with our whole heart. God desires our allegiance. We're all confronted with situations every day through which the Lord tests us. Sometimes in little ways and sometimes with bigger difficulties and problems. But in each instance, the question is the same. God asks, do you love me? Do you trust me enough to do it my way? Am I number one in your life? This afternoon we'll see that in the first commandment, God calls us to put our trust in him alone. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. Let us show forth our thankfulness by trusting the Lord and serving him with all our hearts. We'll see who we are to serve, why we are to serve, and how we are to serve. Children, I've got a question for you. It's not a hard one, it's an easy one. Who are we to serve? I'm sure you all know the answer. The Lord. That's right. Now I've got a question for you that's a little bit harder. What does God teach us in the first commandment? Who are we not allowed to serve? I think you'll know the answer to that question as well. We're not supposed to serve other gods, idols, the Lord wants us to serve him alone. Now, in the Old Testament, we read about God's people, Israel, serving idols. They made idols out of gold and silver, wood and stone. Sometimes idols were big. They were set up and worshipped in one place. Other idols were small. They were household gods that the people could take with them when they traveled. Do you have idols in your house? Do you ever bow down in front of a little statue and worship it or pray to it? We don't do that, do we? When we read about the Israelites worshiping other gods, we think they were silly. 
The prophet Isaiah thought so too. In chapter 44, Isaiah mocks the people of Israel for serving idols. Isaiah talks about a man chopping down a tree. He uses half of it for firewood to cook his meal and to keep himself warm. And then he uses the other half to make an idol. He falls down in front of it and he worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. We think that the Israelites were stupid to worship idols. Especially because again and again the people fell into the same sin. Yet, beloved, are we truly any different? Don't we also serve our 21st century idols? No, not Baal and Asherah, but money and power and status and intellect. Young people, when you are planning for the future, making decisions about what kind of career to pursue, What considerations are most important for you? Is it how you can best use your gifts and talents? Finding something that you really enjoy? Or is the most important consideration how much money a certain job pays? For those of you who are employed... How many hours are you working each week? Are you always looking for that little bit of overtime? Or looking for that extra little job to make some extra cash? Are you working nights and Saturdays to grow your business? How do your work commitments balance out with family life and with service in God's kingdom? Are your priorities set right? The Lord Jesus made it clear. We can only serve one master. You cannot serve both God and money. In the materialistic world in which we live, this is often a struggle for us. One of the main reasons for this is is that money is often viewed as a measure of success. And one of the things that many seem to crave is status. People want others to look up to them and to respect them. At times we set unreasonable expectations for ourselves. We want to be like so-and-so. So we try and mold ourselves in someone else's image. Young people want to be cool. At times that's more important than anything else in life. So they do crazy things, things they know are wrong or dangerous, just to try and gain acceptance among their friends. Beloved, how important is it to you to wear stylish clothes? How much time do you spend every morning fussing over your outward appearance? Is one of the main aims of your life to present a smart, successful image to those around you? Why is image so important to you? Because you're interested in attaining some 
new position or at work or in the church? Or is it just because it gives you a good feeling inside, like you're a worthwhile person? To what extent do we rely on our intellect, our reasoning, on our minds? If we're faced with problems, do we cast around for all kinds of ideas to get ourselves out of trouble? How often don't we try to puzzle our way out of difficulties without really considering the Lord and His hand in our lives? Self-reliance is ultimately a form of idolatry too. Instead of trusting the Lord, we depend on our wits or on our brain power to lead us through life. You see, beloved, in many ways, we are just like the Israelites of old. Silly. At times, even stupid. For although we live in the 21st century, we still have other things besides God in which we put our trust. Beloved, take a closer look at the idols in your life. Do you think money or possessions can do anything for you? The author of Ecclesiastes makes it clear that just as we were born naked, so we cannot take anything out of this life. Jesus calls the man who lays up treasure for himself and who is not rich toward God a fool. Isn't it crazy that we are affected by peer pressure as much as we are? Why do we care so much about what others think of us? Why strive to maintain outward appearances to attain some high status? God's love for us is not dependent on what other people think. God cares about what lives in our hearts. What the Lord desires is a life devoted to doing His will. Do you know what Proverbs 31 says about the virtuous wife? It says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. For those of you who think a lot of your brain power, consider the following. When the Lord answered Job from out of the whirlwind, one of the things he asked Job was, Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? The answer clearly is God. In Romans 1, Paul tells us that God gives those who suppress the truth over to a debased mind. In Romans 12, Paul tells us not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. By nature, our minds are corrupted. We're so easily deceived. Trusting in one's own wisdom is folly before God. In the first commandment, God teaches us, you shall have no other gods before me. We're not to have or invent anything in which we put our trust 
other than the only true God who has revealed himself to us in his word. God calls us to entrust ourselves to his loving care. We could read together from Proverbs 3. In verses 5 and 6 we read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trusting. That means depending or relying on someone else. It means we have confidence in the power or the faithfulness or the reliability of someone else. Trusting means giving ourselves over into the hands of someone else. Sometimes we show our trust in someone by telling that person a secret about ourselves. We've handed over a small but sometimes important part of ourselves to that person. Now we depend on that person to keep it private. Yet sometimes such trust is betrayed. Because it's possible for any human being to fail us or forsake us. That's why our text encourages us to trust in the Lord. Why? Because God is faithful. He always keeps his word. We can hand over our hearts and our lives to him, fully assured. He will care for us. He will provide all our needs. How do we know that? Because the Lord has proved his love and faithfulness to his people throughout the ages. He made a covenant with Abraham, the father of the people of Israel. And the Lord kept all his promises. Just as he said, he gave Abraham a son. He made Abraham the father of many nations. He gave his descendants the promised land. And ultimately, he sent the Messiah. Our text doesn't just teach us to trust in the Lord. It teaches us to trust him with all our heart. The reason Proverbs 3 focuses on the heart is because it's our heart that drives us. We know a polluted well brings forth polluted water. In the same way an evil heart produces an evil life, a foolish heart produces a foolish life. It's our heart that determines the direction of our lives. Because wise living depends so much on our hearts, it's important for us to guard our hearts. Perhaps you think that idea of guarding your heart is a strange concept. Yet Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. If you had $1,000 in your pocket, you'd be careful with it, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want it to slip out of your pocket and fall into the street. It's too valuable to just lose it. The same applies to our hearts. And yet our hearts are much more valuable than money. You see, the state of our heart determines the future of our body and soul. You see, beloved, it's your heart that determines the direction of your eyes. 
your feet, your hands, your mouth. They're all directed by your heart. It's our heart that determines where we go, what we do, how we speak. It's why the Lord desires our hearts. For if we give him our heart, our whole life will come under his direction. If we trust the Lord with all our heart, our life will be secure in his gracious care. The first commandment is all about who we are to serve. It teaches us to trust the Lord with all our hearts instead of relying on ourselves or on other things. This brings us to our second point, and it will see why we are to serve. When dealing with the Ten Commandments, it's so easy to skip over the Lord's introductory words. Yet they provide us with the reason why we are to keep them. They give us encouragement and motivation to live according to the standard God has set for us. When the Lord gave the law to his people at Mount Sinai, he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. These are glorious words indeed. In Egypt, Israel served other gods. Yet the Lord showed his people that he was really God. The plagues God brought against Egypt were an attack against the Egyptian gods. The drowning of Pharaoh and all his hosts in the Red Sea was a mighty sign of God's power over all of creation. Of all the gods that the nation served, there was no god like the Lord, Israel's God. None of the gods of the nations delivered a people from slavery and gave them a land to live in. No other God established a covenant with his people and remained faithful to them throughout the generations. God's love and faithfulness have especially been revealed in the sending of the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. The deliverance that he works for us is even greater than God's deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt. For you see, beloved, Christ does not save us from physical slavery. With his precious blood, he has delivered us from our sins and misery. He has set us free from the power of the devil. Our Lord has restored us to covenant fellowship with God. Through his spirit, he makes it possible for us to rightly know God, to love him and serve him with all our hearts. Throughout history, God's people have often been under the impression that they had to keep the law in order to be saved. Sometimes we think that too. We think that to be God's child, you have to do his will. Your life has to be lived according to a whole list of do's and don'ts. Yeah, beloved, if that's our attitude, then keeping the law becomes a burden. Then we live with the mentality that we're not allowed to do this and we're not allowed to do that. Often this comes through in the questions that our children ask. They ask, why can't I? What's wrong with it? 
They treat God's law as a list of rules that must be kept. And so our life as God's people goes from being a joy and a delight to being a heavy burden. For we think we have to live in a certain way in order to be saved. Beloved, that's a lie. Living our lives according to the law does not save us. Living our lives according to the law cannot save us. We cannot keep the law. And we don't have to either. Jesus Christ has kept the law for us. He came into this world to do the will of his heavenly Father. Throughout his life here on earth, Jesus never disobeyed a single commandment. Christ was willing to drink the cup of suffering that was set before him. He did the will of God perfectly. It's through his sacrifice and death that we've been set free from sin and Satan. Our salvation lies in the Lord Jesus Christ. It depends not on keeping the law, but on believing in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. The point, beloved, is that our catechism deals with the Ten Commandments in its third section. It's a section dealing with our thankfulness. Why are we to keep the law? Not to merit anything, but instead to show forth our thankfulness to God for all his benefits. Our approach to the law should not be it's something we have to do. Instead, it should be something we want to do. Jesus Christ has redeemed us by his blood and renewed us by the Holy Spirit. Our motivation for keeping the law is one of thankfulness to God. For us, it's a joy and a delight to live according to the law of God in all good works. Do you know why we serve the Lord God and not other gods, not idols? Because God is trustworthy. Consider Israel's idols of gold, silver, wood, and stone. In Psalm 115, the psalmist says, They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. In contrast, we serve the Almighty Creator of the heavens and the earth. We serve the Lord who has this whole world in his hands. Jesus teaches us that our Heavenly Father has such power that without his will, not a hair can fall from our heads. We know that we can trust God because he loves us, because he is faithful, because he's wise. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? 
God is faithful. Even in difficult times, you may be sure. He will keep his promises. He will work out all things for our benefit. Our God is also wise. The Lord knows what's best for us. That's why we can submit our lives to his guidance and his direction. For he's leading us on the pathway of life. God will preserve his own. He will bring us to our eternal home. This brings us to our final point. How we are to serve. The author of Proverbs encourages us in how to serve God. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Please note those words, with all your heart and in all your ways. The Lord wants us to be completely committed to his service. Not that half of our life is lived for God. Not even that 99% of our life is lived for God. God demands we serve him with our whole heart. A hundred percent. This comes through very clearly in the summary of the law. The Lord Jesus taught us in Matthew 22. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That means that all we think and say and do is to be motivated by love for God and love for our neighbor. That's the way in which the Lord wants us to show forth our thankfulness to him. Now, beloved, it's impossible for us to live to that standard. Even as God's children redeemed by the blood of Christ and renewed by the Holy Spirit, we cannot serve God perfectly. And yet we're encouraged to make God number one in our lives. God tells us he has given us his commandments for our good always. He promises a rich blessing on all who serve him. We see that in the various verses of Proverbs 3. Verse 2, God promises life and peace to those who keep his commands. In verse 4, he promises those who show forth steadfast love and faithfulness that they will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. In verse 8, God promises to provide health and strength to those who fear him and who depart from evil. In verse 10, he promises he will richly provide for those who honor him in their possessions. To me, the richest promise God makes in Proverbs 3 is found in verse 6. God says that he will make straight the paths of those who trust in him with all their hearts and who acknowledge him in all their ways. We have to remember that in the ancient Near East, they did not have the smooth paved roads we have today. Ancient roads were often winding tracks full of rubble and stones. It was easy to lose your way or to trip and hurt yourself on the way. 
This helps us understand God's promise to make straight our paths. God is promising to clear the rubble out of the way, to make our pathway straight. He promises to make our way passable, to make our journey through life a safe one. Does that mean that life will always be easy? Or that we'll, ever face, that we'll never face any hardships on the way? Certainly not. We read from Proverbs that the Lord chastens those whom he loves. We're often confronted with situations through which the Lord tests us. It's often through hardships and struggles that God draws us closer to him. Yet, beloved, no matter what happens in life, we may hold fast our trust in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and in all your ways acknowledge Him. Truly make God the center of your life. Glorify Him in all you say and do. Rely on Him for all you need. For the Lord our God has promised to complete the work he has begun in our lives. We may live as thankful and joyful children of God. For God has promised to be with us in this life. And he has promised that we will be with him in the life to come. Trust God to lead you to the eternal home that he has promised to all who love and serve him. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from Psalm 31, stanzas 11, 12, and 14.